You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Thanks, Brad and Courtney. Good evening. My name is Dean, the pastor here at City Church. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us tonight on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the love of God understood in the Christmas story together. I want to read you a quote from a writer named D.A. Carson to kind of get us kicked off here uh, for when I talk to you about this for a little bit tonight. He wrote this, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. You see, Christmas is the story of God's rescue mission. Christmas is the story of God's love where we on our own could not ascend to God because of our sin and separation from him. So God in his love and in his grace descended to us, God the Son, to redeem a people for himself. I believe that the greatest critique against humanism is Christmas. The idea that humans are so great, man is so great, woman is so great. I think Christmas flips that upside down because yes, There are a lot of great earthly things we can accomplish as human beings, but Christ came because humanity can't save itself. Because human solutions are never the answer to actual spiritual problems. And before we have anything else, we have a spiritual problem. That we are separated from God, we've rebelled against God, sinned against God. If none of that is true, then Christmas is pointless. Then it would have been meaningless for Jesus to come. He came with a specific mission in mind. Jesus as an adult said that he came to seek and save those who were lost. When the angel let Jesus' earthly parents know the name, you will name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save people from their sins. We can't understand Christmas without understanding Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That Jesus was not born to stay in a manger, but to grow up and give his life for all who will come to trust in him. Christmas exists because we had a spiritual problem that could only be fixed by God and by his grace. He has given us the gracious opportunity to do that by trusting in Jesus rather than ourselves. We hear regular today that maybe salvation's from within, the believe in yourself, that type of messaging. But without the light that has invaded the world, an outside light that has come here named Jesus, the inner light inside of us will never amount to anything because it can't fix the fact that we have sinned and therefore we owe God because of that. Salvation is not from within, but from without. And thankfully, Christmas is the story of how that has come true. I want to read you a passage of scripture today that Jesus told himself now as an adult in Luke chapter 18. He's in his ministry. And why I chose this passage on Christmas Eve is because I think it really helps us understand the need we all have for the, for the story of Christmas. So we have two men in this story. One man who didn't really believe he needed Christmas and the other man who was actually desperate for it. So Jesus here introduces us to two different characters. Here's what he says in verse 9. He also told this parable, which is a story, uh, to some who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. And the story goes like this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, who had been a very devout religious person, and the other, a tax collector. And in this society in the first century, if you're going to make kind of a Mount Rushmore of the biggest sinners, tax collectors would have been up there. You're not people who work for the IRS in 2020. We're not talking about those folks. We're talking about folks that kind of were reverse Robin Hood. They would use their position to overcharge the poor taxes and keep the money for themselves. They were viewed as very oppressive people and sinful people. So you got two folks going to the temple to pray. One, a very religious, devout man called a Pharisee, and the other, someone who had been viewed as a top-notch level sinner. We see in verse 11, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. See that world out there, that society that's going to decay? I thank you. I'm not like them. I'll even give you some examples, God, of what I'm not like. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or if you want to get real specific, I have a comparison I can make. Even this tax collector. And here's my resume. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. I'm a really good person. I'm really devout. And even if you don't think I am, at least I'm not like that guy over there. But, we're told, and this is a strong contrast in the story, it's supposed to be, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In other words, God, everything that that man just said about me, that Pharisee, it's all true. All of it. Like, I am who he said I am. So I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to say, oh, what about that guy? I'm not going to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person. I'm going to say, God, have, have mercy on me. Here's what's so amazing. God in his love in Christ answered his prayer. He said, I tell you, this one, as in this tax collector, drawing a line here, this one, not that one, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified, meaning declared not guilty, pardoned from his sin, rather than the other. Notice he didn't say that all roads lead to the same place. He said this one went away justified, not the other one, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the story of a man not believing he actually needed Christmas. Yeah, he believed in God. He wasn't an atheist. Yeah, he did some religious practices, probably said a prayer before dinner. Might have had the Lord's Prayer memorized. New Bible stories that he heard as a child. In fact, as a Pharisee, it went even a step further. He had to memorize the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And this man... However, even though he knew those things, believed he was fine on his own. He said, God, I thank you, I'm not like them. Look how, look how great I am. And then there's the other one, the tax collector, who was desperately aware of his need of that baby in a manger and what that baby came to do. Grow up, live a perfect life that he could never live, and die a death that he deserved for his sin, and rise from the grave three days later. 
See, the gospel, the good news, is the word about Jesus Christ and what he did for us in order to restore our right relationship with God. Because on our own, we just can't do that no matter how hard we climb, no matter what moral ladder we try to work ourselves up. All those things sound nice for America, but they don't remedy or fix the fact that we have sinned and we owe God. And Christmas is the story of God being the one who makes the payment for what we owe him. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, book of Romans. But Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to experience that. Isn't that incredible? See, you cannot perfect that which was imperfect. Like your good deeds don't cancel out your bad deeds because the imperfect still remains. So how do you actually address this as a person? Does it make you scared of God or make you kind of crunch down and feel like you're going to get hellfire and brimstone by somebody? Do you avoid church because what they might think about you? No, you trust in the one, the Son of God, who was perfect for you. And we're told that then our sins imputed to him and his righteousness is then imputed. It's given to us. That's the story of Christmas, of Jesus coming to right people who say, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And then he invites us into life with himself to know him, be known by him. God calls those who are in Christ his sons and his daughters who are adopted into his family and get to experience his love in a relationship. But that can't be experienced if what's standing in the way for us is our own goodness and our own righteousness apart from God. I believe this story is one that we see throughout the scriptures and throughout our own lives of settling for artificial lights. Artificial lights. Because Jesus throughout the Bible is referred to as the light of the world. And the Advent story is that the actual light has come and really has pierced through the artificial lights. What do I mean by that? Well, it's common to think today, really, to believe two lies. The first lie is there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. And the other lie is I gotta go around God for all the things I'm looking for rather than actually to him instead. I got to pursue security and status or sometimes it's substance abuse or a relationship or a feeling, whatever it might be to give me what, what I wish God gave me. Instead, it's an artificial light we're chasing. See, in this story, we see two artificial lights. The two men in Luke 18, it looked very different, but the result was the same. And they were separated from God apart from Christ. The Pharisee, what was his artificial light? It was himself. It was his own goodness, his own righteousness. And on the surface, especially kind of an American church culture, if I read you this story and don't give the end result where Jesus says, you're forgiven, go away. If I just read you the first part and give you the two resumes, I would say, who here is like the hero of the story? And you might go, well, well the, the Pharisee, he's a good guy. Look at the things he does. He's, he's a religious person, a tax collector. He, he's, he's not, he's, he's not a good person. But the reality is that Jesus wasn't looking for an impressive earthly resume. He was looking for someone who actually needed Christmas and was dependent upon Christ and not himself. So the first man's artificial light he was chasing rather than the actual light was himself, his own goodness. And then there was the tax collector who was involved in sinful choices and a sinful lifestyle. That was his artificial light. The Pharisee thought his good works would save him and justify him. And the tax collector didn't care about any of that and just wanted to live for himself and go out and do whatever he chose. And here's the awesome news of Christmas. Jesus came for both. 
Jesus came for both. There's not a person in this room who's too far from God's love. Not one person. There's not one person in this room that can't claim that Christmas is for you if you'll believe in Christ rather than yourself. And without that, we have to make sure we're clear. We make Christmas very confusing. Like if the Pharisees are right here about himself, then Christmas was pointless. Why, why do we need Jesus? And if, the, and if there's no hope for the tax collector, Christmas is the most overhyped event in the history of the world. Jesus came to save people from their sins. Well, except that guy. No, it's the opposite, especially that guy. And especially you and especially me. Let's not settle for artificial lights. I remember being a kid and living in Fort Lauderdale until I was about 10 years old. I don't think I ever saw a star. Big city, millions of people in the whole South Florida area. You go out and look in the backyard and you can't see stars. You see city lights everywhere. Just that artificial light, artificial lights. Move to Tallahassee. We moved to the back of Killarne Lakes before there was a lot of houses back there. We're one of the first lots in the back of Killarne Lakes. It's like in 1990. And we go in our backyard, us three kids, my brother Todd, my sister Sally, and myself, us three kids from Fort Lauderdale, we go look up in the backyard, and we're like, stars. And we thought we were in like a George Lucas film. I mean, it was like, it was like what, what, what is going on here right now? Well, we finally had a chance to see the real lights, not the fake stuff that blocks out the actual lights in Fort Lauderdale and gets in the way. Now, you all from South Florida, I know you honk really quickly at people and cussy people in traffic. Don't get mad at me for saying that. But the reality is it's a totally different ballgame when you actually see the real thing. When you see the real thing. But artificial lights block us regularly. For one man, it was his own goodness. For the other, his perceived goodness. For the other man, it was the lifestyle he was involved in. And both had one thing in common. They desperately needed Christmas. Because we need to trust in a righteousness that's not our own. But they had one big difference. One needed it and realized it. The other needed it and was in denial. So the reality is Jesus came to save those who think they're great and those who know they're awful. And everybody in between. But we don't stay that way. God redeems us, makes us new, restores us, calls us his child. The Christian doesn't walk around wallowing, going, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. No, this Christian is redeemed. Yes, we still sin, we still make mistakes, but we run quickly to the one who forgives us. And Christmas was the kickoff of making that possible for all of us. All of Old Testament history pointed to it, and now the one who came to justify had arrived on the scene as a baby, and history would never be the same. So my just hope for all of us this Christmas is that we will be people not chasing artificial lights, but who actually receive the one who is the true light and has come into the world to save people like you and me. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to light candles together and sing Silent Night and celebrate the true light that's coming to the world. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for that story that Jesus told. Lord, I know there's people in this room that could fall in both those camps, those who think they're fine based on their kind of worldly American resume of how we define righteousness, and those who know they're not doing great because of choices they've made or a mess they've gotten in or a past they keep being reminded of, whatever it might be, we know that Jesus Christ came to save both those people. And we're thankful for that. So this Christmas... 
as we enjoy the things we love and all the sentimentality and the family and the food and all that comes with it, Lord, I ask most of all, we'll enjoy Christ and the fact that you've come for us and redeemed us and called, you, called us your own. And as a result of that, we'll be free to respond to that good news by loving others and enjoying the good gifts you've given us. So thank you for Jesus. That's why we gather tonight and we're thankful that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and save those who were lost. And because of that, all those who know Jesus are found in our Lord. And we thank you for Christmas and the Good Friday cross and the resurrection three days later. And we are anticipating that he one day will come again for his people and make all things new. Thank you for all this in the name of Christ.